Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Good evening, and Shiva Asavatamas is behind us. The three weeks are ahead of us. Um, but we <clears throat> start the three weeks by learning Torah, and we are in Perak Kaf Zahin, the story of the exchange of the Brachot, and we're up to Pasuk Kaf. Um, so the story so far is that Yaakov, following the instructions of his mother, has brought food to his father, and uh, Yaakov, uh, Yitzchak says to Yaakov, who are you? And ya- uh, Yaakov said, Anochi Esav Bacharecha, which Rashi explained as, I am I, and Esav is your firstborn, so he wasn't lying, or at least I would put it, he was minimizing the lie. And then we, the story carries on. In Pasuk Kaf, Vayoma Yitzchak Elbano, Yitzchak said to his son, Ma ze miharta limtso bani? What was this that you hurried to find my son? In other words, you're home quicker than I expected. Vayomer, and he, that's Yaakov, replied, Ki hikra Hashem elokecha lefanai. Hashem literally happened before me. In other words, Hashem helped me, and that's why I am faster than we might have expected. No Rashi on Kaf. And in Kaf Aleph, Vayoma Yitzchak el Yaakov, Gesha na, Amushcha, draw near and I will feel you, Bani, my son. Bani Esav Imlo. Are you, is this one my son Esav or not? Ruth, can I ask you to mute yourself? Yes, sorry. Thank you. Just proves it's a Zoom call, if you have to say that. <laughs> now, notice just by the way, this is exactly what Yaakov was afraid of, precisely that Yitzchak would feel him. And his mother said, well, she didn't say it explicitly, but it's, so we sort of read it as, don't worry. Uh, but then she put the skins on his arms, although the Torah didn't say, and Rashi didn't say explicitly, but that was to make him feel hairy, but presumably that would have that effect. Anyway, Yitzchak does say, come near and feel me. Now, why does Rashi, well, sorry, according to Rashi, why does Yitzchak say that at this point? In other words, in what way is Kaf Aleph following on from what we've gone before. Uh, I'm sort of directing the question because we know the answer, but Rashi um, often asks, why has this happened now? What, what he's really meaning is what's the connection between this and what's gone before? And Rashi says on the words, It's not the way of Esau, that the name of heaven is habitual in his mouth. The Zer Omar, and this one, who apparently is Esau, said, Ki hikra Hashem, Hashem, your God, has speeded me up, has helped me. So says Rashi, this is why now Yitzchak says, come near and I will feel you, and I will check out who you are. Oh, remember, he's already asked him once explicitly, who are you? And Yitzchak, sorry, Yaakov has answered. So why now does Yitzchak need to have a further check? Rashi answers that by saying, it's what happened in Kaf that leads to Kaf Aleph. Namely, that Yaakov used the name of Hashem, to which Yitzchak thought, that's not Esau's style. 
This raises a question. Isn't the whole problem that Yitzchak thought that Esav was a tzaddik? That Esav was the one who asked him clever questions about taking Masa, that Esav was the one who honored his father so much. The, the presumption running through this, and Rashi doesn't uh, disagree, so we'll stick with this, is that yeah, Yitzchak wanted to give the bracha to Esav because he thought Esav deserved them. As I said, there are many other interpretations of what the whole game plan was, but we'll stick to Rashi, who does not say anything to the contrary, other than Esau was the favorite son of Yitzchak. So why does Yitzchak now say, in Rashi's words, that Esau doesn't use the shame Hashem? So um, there are various answers. Um, one, one, the Ramban says that what he means is Esau wouldn't use shame Hashem lightly. And for, yeah, the quote that we just saw, which was uh, Yaakov, where he said, uh, Ki Hashem, Hashem speeded me up, Hashem happened to be before me. That's the sort of casual use of the name of Hashem. And perhaps, perhaps Yitzchak feels it's, it's too casual, too casual that Esau, who would use the name Hashem only in a much more respectful and reverent terms, which actually leads me on to another idea, but perhaps actually the same idea that there's a suggestion that Yitzchak represented the middah of Din. Avraham was chesed, Yitzchak is Din. And taking this, extrapolating this further and using a bit of sort of Kabbalistic stroke psychoanalysis, Yitzchak thought that Esau also lived under the middah of Din, like Yitzchak himself, which sort of might, I know I'm sort of jumping at the end of the story, but might explain Yitzchak's identification with Esau. And if you live according to Din, what does that mean about your relationship with Hashem? So ideally, of course, we have Din and Chesed, or Ahava and Yira. Um, our, our life is a struggle to get the balance right between those two. Um, if one has too much Yira, one is very scared of God in the sense, and therefore wants to do the right thing and not get punished for doing the wrong thing. But one doesn't have the close familiarity with Hashem, which we should also strive for. Of course, if you have too much Ahava and not enough Yira, that familiarity becomes over-familiarity, that becomes too informal and lacking that respect that we have to have for Hashem. We have to balance the two. Um, uh, if you read um, one of the most important books in my life, and I think should be in everybody else's life, which is The Lonely Man of Faith, um, he doesn't use these terms, Rosh Hashanah doesn't use these terms, Ahava and Yira, but I think his dichotomy between Adam 1 and Adam 2 is all about Ahava and Yira. And I'll also say one more thing, um, which Rosh doesn't say in The Lonely Man of Faith, but he like so close to saying this that I think it's it's there, is every time we make, and this is relevant, I haven't lost track of what the Rashi said, by the way, every time we make a bracha, we start with the three words, Baruch Ata Hashem. What is Hashem? Hashem is God's personal name like Fred or George, and we're calling him by his personal name. Now, which we don't use his name. We say in the, when we talk about it, we say Hashem. And when we say the word, we say Adonai, which is still not his personal name. But what we see written on the page, Yud Kevavke, that's his personal name. And the bigger clue is we say Atah, you, you, I'm talking to God in the second person. And then immediately after saying Baruch Hashem, which is an expression of our Ahavat Hashem, our closeness to Hashem, what do we say? We stand back, we stand in awe and fear of Elokeinu, our God in the sense of judge, who is ruling the entire universe. He's not our best mate 
he's somebody very distant. And in just the space of one bracha that we say, well, we're supposed to say a hundred times a day, um, well, we don't always say, um, so we don't know, it wouldn't be a hundred times a day, but several times a day we say, that is the synthesis between Ahava and Yira. And that helps us, that sort of guides us to getting it right. What happens if you live your life according to Din? So you see God as Elohim. You see God as something distant and awesome in the proper sense of the word, not the teenage sense. Um, and you don't see Hashem, Yudke Vavke. You don't have that sort of over-familiarity with Hashem. So maybe Yitzchak, when he hears the son, who is actually Yaakov, say, Hashem that Hashem appeared before me, Hashem helped me, that's, a, that's someone speaking who is Ohev Hashem. Maybe, um, and somebody says this, and I forget who, that Yitzchak, who lives his life according to Din, who wants, who, who I think that Esau lives his life according to Din, would not expect Esau to use Shem Hashem, first of all, the name Yudke Vavke, as opposed to Elohim, although actually he uses both, to be fair, um, but he wouldn't expect him to use it so casually, because that's not an expression of how you live according to Din. Okay. Um, it's also, oh yeah, okay, we can go on to the next passage, and then I will talk about it a little bit. Okay. Yaakov drew near to Yitzchak, Aviv, his father, as his father had requested. And he felt him. And he said, Very, very famous quote. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, and the hands are the hands of Esau. Rashi says, Call Yaakov. He speaks in a graceful way. He says, Kumna, please get up. Aval Esav Kanturia. Esav speaks in a harsh way. Deber, he speaks. When Esav comes in, although this is a little bit um, anachronistic because it hasn't happened yet, but when Esav comes in, he says, Get up, my father. He doesn't say, Nah, please. So, what Rashi is defining is Kol Yaakov. And Rashi is disabusing us of a notion which he obviously thinks is incorrect as to what is meant by Kol. What do we think is meant by Kol if we've not read this Rashi? His voice. I can hear his voice. I know my two sons, they've got different voices. I first, I heard the voice of Yaakov. Rashi doesn't go down that line at all. Rashi understands voice, or the word Kol, let's say, in a different way entirely. But why do you think Rashi says this? And I think the answer is, if Yitzchak is referring to literally the voice of the, the son in question, and it turns out to be Yaakov's voice, when would he have made this observation? When would he have made this observation? The first moment that Yaakov starts speaking, which is Pasuk Yotet. Why does Yitzchak wait till Pasuk Kaf Aleph to make this observation? And the answer is, therefore, it's not the voice per se. It's not the diction, the utterances of one son, and he can hear the voice and realize it's not the other. It must be the sort of conversation that he's been having. And the conversation that he had, the, the said, get up nicely, kumna, in your tet. He said, shame Hashem, and talked about Hashem in kaf, which Rashi's already said is not what Yitzchak would expect from Yaakov. Sorry, from Esau. So these things together 
is what then leads Yaakov, Yitzchak, in Kafbet to say Kol Kol Yaakov. So because he waits until Kafbet to say it, we can conclude that he's not listening to the voice as we would understand it, but the manner of speaking. And listening to the voice is not about hearing the words, but it's hearing the style, hearing the subtext. Now, who listened to Hashem's voice that we learned about relatively recently? Avraham in Perakaf Hay. When uh, Hashem blessed, no, it was Kaf, beginning of Kafra. Hashem blessed Yitzchak because of Abraham, because of the wonderful things that Abraham had done. Um, I haven't got a chumash here, but you have all got a chumash. It is, yeah, um, Kaf Vav Pasuk Hey, Ekev Asher Shema Abraham Bekoli. Abraham listened to my voice. Now, what does Rashi say on that? Abraham listened to my voice. When I tested him. And then Rashi goes on to say to, to explain the rest of the Pasuk. Abraham did this mitzvah and that mitzvah, and he categorizes all the different mitzvot in the, the successive words that uh, he said in the Pasuk. And Rashi explained which type of mitzvot each of those words. Why doesn't Rashi say on Shema Bakoli, he listened to my voice as being, he did my, follow my instructions? Because obviously the instructions were given, as it were, orally by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even that's a bit of an anthropomorphism, but, but Abraham would have heard Hashem's voice telling him what to do. Rashi says, no. Rashi says, when I tested him. In other words, the very type of life that I asked Abraham to live, he went along with. He passed my tests. He was a God-fearing person. He was uh, in my team, not specifically following my instructions. And this fits with what we're saying now, that call is not words, that's dibur. Call is the mode of instruction. Call is the very fundamentals of, 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 of what type of person it is and what type of relationship they are constructing with another person. And therefore we can say that that's what Rashi understands by Kol Kol Yaakov, not the words that he uses. After all, according to Rashi, in the previous Passover, um, Yitzchak has questioned his use of the name of Hashem. And it can't be literally the voice in the sense that we use it, how to distinguish one voice from another, because as we said, that would have start, that would have been achieved to Psukim earlier. So it's Yaakov's general demeanor and his style of speaking, Lashem Tachanunim, that is identified as Kol, Kol Yaakov. And by the way, it's a nice thing to remember because we often say that we are the descendants of Yaakov. We should demonstrate Yaakov's Kol. We'll leave it to the um, other peoples to demonstrate Yadayim, Yaday Esav. So this Rashi says Kol means the way that we speak. And I think it's a legitimate extension, the way we behave, the personalities that we have. That is Kol Yaakov. Um, Pasuk Kaf Gimor. Below Hikiro, he did not recognize him. Yitzchak did not recognize Yaakov. Ki hayu yadav kidei Esav, because his hands were like the hands of Esav, Achiv, his brother. Si'orot, heri, vayavarachehu. And he blessed him. 
Um, and then there's no Rashi on that. We go straight to Kafdalat. Vayomer ata zebni esav, vayomer ani. Yitzchak, one more time says, you, this my son Esav, question mark, and Yaakov replies, Ani. Before we read Rashi, what does Yaakov not say? Uh, yeah, very good. Remember from last, he doesn't say Anochi, but what else does he say? He doesn't say Ani Esav. So as exactly what Rashi says, Vayoma Ani, Lo Amar Ani Esav, Ela Ani. He didn't say that I am Esav. He said, Ani. Rashi is saying very similar to what he said on the words Anochi Esau Bacharecha, um, that what Yaakov is doing is very cleverly not saying precise words of an untruth, but at the same time, I think we have to be realistic, and I think Rashi is also being realistic, that he is deceiving Yitzchak, but he's deceiving Yitzchak by minimizing the untruth that he actually speaks. That's why Titein Emet That's why Yaakov is a man of truth. As we said before, and I won't go through the whole thing again, but even when Yaakov has to lie, he min and he does have to lie for the sake of Israel, he minimizes the lie to the very extent that he possibly can. And Rashi notices because it's an uncomfortable, I mean, it's an awkward expression. Are you my son Asaph? And he said, I. So, I mean, apart from the deeper idea here that I'm expressing that Yaakov is still trying to be a, a man of truth, Rashi obviously is directed to the strange expression. What does it mean, I? What sort of answer is that? So Rashi explains he's deliberately saying I rather than I am Esau. Now, I saw a very interesting idea that uh, applies to this passage, probably applies to the, the pre-Anuchi Esau as well, if that applies to the whole story, that you could possibly say that Yaakov's answer is, I am the one that you think Aesop is. Meaning, you think Aesop's a tzaddik. You think Aesop sits and learns Torah. I'm afraid you're wrong. But if you want to bless somebody who sits and learns Torah, it's me. I. I am the one that you think is Aesop. I am the character that you think is Esau. That's a possible way to matstick, to justify what Yaakov is doing. And there's an interesting sort of epilogue to this idea. In Pasuk Mem, um, Rashi says, um, uh, explaining the Pasuk, that basically that the bracha that is given to Yaakov is talui. It's dependent on Yaakov maintaining, he and his descendants maintaining their behavior. And Rashi says, Yisrael ala Torah. When the Jews transgressed the Torah, there will be, literally opening the mouth, in other words, like an excuse, to then suffer for the bracha that he took. Now, why should it be that when Yaakov or his descendants cease to uh, follow the Torah, that there'll then be a punishment for the brachat? Now, you could say, Taking the brachat is like a bad thing, and one of these days, Yaakov or his descendants will suffer for it. But where's the midah connected midah, precisely? That if you transgress the Torah, then you'll suffer for the brachat. Where's the cause and effect? So based on what I just said now, we can see the cause and effect. Yaakov says, according to what I'm saying, he deserves the brachat because he is the sort of tzaddik that you think Esau is. Esau isn't that tzaddik. Yaakov is. 
So that's why Yaakov can say, who am I? I, I'm the one, I'm the one. But if Yaakov ceases to be that tzaddik, if Yaakov or his descendants transgress the Torah, then they no longer have the claim on the brachot. Then their claim that I'm the one who deserves the brachot because I'm the one who acts in the way that you think Esau acts will cease to be valid. And then they will suffer for taking the bracha. Nice, nice way of turning it around. We move on to Basak Kaf Hey. Vayomer, and he said, Higishali, the Ochla, Mitzaid Bani. Yitzhak says, Draw near, and I will eat from the hunting of my son, Laman Tabarechra Nafshi, in order that my soul will bless you. Vayageshlo, and he drew near. Vayochal, and he ate. Vayavelo Yayin, Vayashd. And he brought him wine. And he drank. No Rashi. Kafav, Vayome Elav Yitzchak Aviv, Gesha Na Ushka Li Vini. And Yitzchak said to him, so Yitzchak, his father, said to him, Draw near, lots of drawing near here, by the way, and kiss, uh, and kiss me, my son. Still no Rashi. Vayigash Vayashak Lo, he drew near and he kissed him. Vayarach et Reach Begadav. And he smelt the smell of his clothes. And he blessed him. I'll just pause for a minute. This isn't really Rashi. Um, probably not. Anyway, uh, it's interesting. But what did he say was the trigger for the brachot? He said it at the beginning when he told Aesop to go off hunting. He said it again in cafe. What was the trigger for the brachot? What, would, what did Yitzhak have to do before Yitzhak could give a blessing? Again, bring... No, Aesop had to do. What did Yitzhak have to do before? Eat, eat. Okay, he said, you give me food to eat and I'll bless you. And that's, he did give him food to eat and he did eat it in cafe. But it turns out what triggered the um, blessing was not so much the eating, or that might have been a precursor, but what was the, the key trigger? The smelling, the smelling of the clothes. He smelt the clothes and he blessed him. Um, because what part, you look carefully at Pasuk Kaf Hay, um, and we've seen it earlier as well. What part of Yitzchak does the blessing? His nefesh and his nefesh. And what, what uh, how do we excite the nefesh? In this world, we can't, the nefesh obviously is sort of non-physical, but we do have a way of connecting to the nefesh, which is what? Smells. Smells. How do we deal with our loss of our nefesh at the end of Shabbos? With Basamim. So the one thing that we have, which is the, the least physical thing that we have, is the smell. Food is more substantive, as Mama Shut. Um, but the smell is like, it's nothing. It, literally, it's, I mean, in fact, it's sort of uh, particles in the air. But it's, it's, it's as non-physical as we can get in this physical world. So if you want to connect to the nefesh, you do it through smells. That's why we smell the samim when our nefesh goes. Anyway, what was it that Yaakov, sorry, that Yitzchak smelt that turned out to be this trigger for his nefesh? His clothes. Vayomer, and he said, re'ei re'ach bani, see the smell of my son. Interesting, I, I hadn't seen anyone commenting on this, but maybe there are. See the smell, because you can't really see smells. Anyway, see the smell of my son. Kareach sadeh asher baruchu Hashem like the uh, smell of the field which Hashem has blessed. And I must go straight into Rashi, 
because this is a funny Rashi. There is no smell worse than, well, shetef ha'azim, shetef usually means washed, rinsed. Um, so wet goat skin. Rashi himself, and this is art scroll, the difference between art scroll and Silverman's translation. Rashi, based on his comment in Eov, Lamadchet Kaf A, says that shatfa is the Arabic word for hair, and therefore shetef ha'azim is perhaps better translated for Rashi as the hair of the goats. So either way, whether it's wet goatskin or hairy goatskin, says Rashi, how can Yitzchak get excited and think this is such a beautiful smell when there is nothing smellier in a nasty way than goat hair? I have not recently smelt goat hair. I probably have at a zoo once in my life, um, but I can't remember it in particular. But Rashi feels it is very, very repugnant and is unlikely, or it raises a question, why Yitzchak would get so excited about it. So Rashi answers the question, What entered with him was the smell of Gan Eden. Now, by the way, there was a very nice um, explanation of why the smell of Gan Eden entered with him. Rashi didn't say this explicitly, we talked about this last week, but he alluded to a midrash that the clothes that Yitzchak was wearing, that Yaakov was wearing, were whose clothes? Adam. Sorry? Adam. Ah, you're two steps ahead. I was going to say Esau's. Esau got them from Nimrod, and Nimrod got them from Adam Harishan. Rashi doesn't say that, but he alludes to the midrash that says that. And where, after all, was Adam Harishan? Where did Adam Harishan get his clothes? In Gan Eden. So it's very nice, what? From Hashem. So it's very nice, it all fits, that he smells the clothes and he smells the reach of Gan Eden. Um, continues rushing. Um, uh, on the words like the smell of the field which Hashem has blessed. He put in it a nice smell, good smell. And this is a field of apples. This is what Chazal expounded. Wow. Did you know apples were particularly reach tov? Um, apparently they are. If you go into an orchard um, and you can actually smell the apple trees, it is very pleasant. I, I don't know if it's the most pleasant smell in the botanical world, but it's a pleasant smell. Um, there, this, this line of Rashi comes from the Gemara and Tanit, and Rashi, sorry, Tosfot says there um, that um, the apples have a smell of etrogim. Now, etrogim, we know, have a very nice smell. So I don't know if Tosfos, uh, I didn't study further, uh, too far, is to, if Tosfos is saying that this particular set of apples or this particular apple field was uh, uh, enhanced by the smell of etrogim, or he thinks generally apples smell a bit like etrogim, but that's possibly why, uh, according to Tosfos, why it's such a nice smell. Um, notice what is it that is blessed here. Now look carefully in Yitzchak's words. It's like the smell of the field which Hashem has blessed. Now it could be that that means Hashem has blessed the field and the fields produce the smell. Or it could mean that Hashem has blessed the smell. Now either way, by the way, 
what does Rashi normally understand blessing to uh, manifest as? There's a consistent theme that Rashi uses in quite a few places, that when you bless somebody, you give them more stuff. Um, you give them more property. If you look at Rashi on that, it's you get more stuff. Um, Hashem had blessed Abraham. He gave, he made him very rich. The, 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 the Rashi says this in quite a few places. Um, Goen says that the letters of Baracha, Bet Reish Chaf, is two, 220. Each one is double the letter before. Bet is double Aleph, Kaf, Reish is, uh, is double Kuf, and uh, Chaf is double Yud, um, because a Baracha is about multiplicity. It's about getting more stuff. Now, the problem with getting more stuff in terms of Reach is you can't get more stuff. Perhaps I suppose you can make the smell stronger, but that's not, that's not really count. I mean, if you talk about produce from a field, instead of getting a certain amount of produce, you can get more produce, that will be a bracha. But how can you bless a smell? You can't, you can't bless a smell by making more smell. Therefore, Rashi says in this case, uh, on the words, Hashem, Rashi has to explain what that bracha is, namely, that he put into it, a um, nice smell. So the smell became nicer. Because a smell can't be multiplied in quantity, it can only be increased in quality or in pleasantness. So Rashi says, the uh, blessing of Hashem, and you can read this either on the field which produces the smell or on the smell itself, it could be read either way, but either way, the blessing to the outcome of the field or to the smell, which is the outcome of the field, is shunatambo reachtov. I want to say something else in the name of the graph. The grass says something amazing, but he also creates a problem. Um, the amazing thing is, says the grass, this is the source of, when do we eat apples? Rosh Hashanah. This is the source of eating apple in honey. And then the grass says, and this event of the night when Yaakov takes the bracha took place on Rosh Hashanah. Now, why? That's a problem. It's a problem for us because we've been stopped following Rashi. And Rashi says, clearly, it took place on Pesach. But the Vilna Gaon has a source, possibly in the Zohar, that it took place on Rosh Hashanah. And that says, is the source for dipping apple and honey and eating uh, an apple. Um, and then it suddenly, it just makes the minhag that we all have, it's one of those common minhagim in, across the Jewish world of eating apple in honey. Suddenly, it, according to the Gra, it refers back to the field that had the smell of Gan Eden, which Hashem had blessed. And it's the smell that Yitzchak smells before he blesses Yaakov, our ancestor. And that all connects to the apples that we eat on Rosh Hashanah. So as I say, it doesn't really work for Rashi because this event didn't take place on Rosh Hashanah. But it's a beautiful idea to enhance your apple and honey when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. Um, one more thing sorry, I should have said earlier. In Shir Hashirim, uh, Perak Zion, Pasuk Tet, we find the words, the reach apech, apech, sorry, the smell of your face. Kertapuchim is like apples. And the Targum on that, the Targum of Sheh Hashirim says, that the smell of your face is like smell of apples from Gan Eden. So we have that Pasuk in Sheh Hashirim, which connects like the ideal smell with the smell of apples. And the Targum there connects that the smell and the apples and Gan Eden which might not be Rashi's source, but fits in very well with the same picture that Rashi is painting. Okay, I think we're ready to go on to the bracha itself. Wait, is it possible to reconcile the Rosh Hashanah and Pesach conflict? 
I don't know if this is accurate, but are there two starts to the year? Is that like the start? Okay. Um, is it possible in this particular case to reconcile Rashi saying it's Pesach and the Zonagon based on the Zohar saying it's Rosh Hashanah? I think not. Um, I think we have to say Rashi is going in a certain direction and uh, it doesn't include Rosh Hashanah. However, um, there is a tremendous parallelism between Tishri and Nisan. Um, the Gemara, I forget where, says um, Hashem created the world in Tishri, but planned to create it in Nisan. Um, um, almost the first Rashi of the Torah, not quite the very first, but amongst them, almost the first Rashi of the Torah, says that in chapter one of Bereshit, Hashem is called Elohim, and in chapter two, it's called Hashem Elohim. And says Rashi there, originally the plan was to create it with the name of Hashem, sorry, with Elohim, Midat Hadin only, and the reality, Hashem saw that wasn't going to work, so he introduced plan B. And plan B was to join Hashem and Elohim, Midat HaRachamim and Midat HaDim. Rashi there doesn't say anything about Nisan and Tishri, but he does say about plan A and plan B, which might match up to plan A and Nisan, plan B and Tishri. It's also the case that um, the, safe, the Chumash begins with Bereshit, which we understand anyway is in Tishri, the creation of the world, and we, that's why we have Rosh Hashanah, the anniversary of the creation of the world in Tishri. What's the very first Rashi? What is the first Rashi? He says the Torah should have begun with, or you could argue the Torah should have begun with the first mitzvah that was given to Kal Yisrael, which is referring to Nisan. So the Torah begins in Tishri, and the, on the spot, Rashi says it should have begun with something in Nisan. That's just another example of lots and lots of parallelisms and an interrelationship between Nisan and Tishri. Um, there is one respect in which we regard the world as having created in Nisan. There's one observance that we have, not very frequently, which is predicated on the world being created in Nisan. What is that? It's the, uh, until the Oval is reinstituted, it's the least common observance, least frequent observance in Judaism. Be'chatachama. Every how long? Every 28 years. Do you remember you? Uh, could be. Do you all remember it? Okay, every 28 years. Uh, it's a long story, we won't get into it now. But we do that just before, uh, around the, the uh, equinox in Nissan, um, usually before Pesach, not necessarily actually, I think in one year, 100 years time, it's going to be on Pesach. Um, and we do that, it's a long story, because in acknowledgement of the world having been created in Nissan. So when we're on Tishri, we say, Hayom Harat Olam, Today, literally, is the conception of the world, or maybe you can translate the birth of the world, but we also acknowledge in some respects that the world was created in this. So that was a long answer to your question, but I stick by my original answer, which is, can we reconcile Rashi saying this event took place on Pesach with somebody else saying it took place on Rosh Hashanah? No, but maybe the two opinions, which are diverse, are part of this great panoply of um, interrelationship between this and Tishri. Okay. Isn't that the, I don't know if this is what I was referring to, but the, I think you told us the same as the Rosh Hashanah, the, I think it's Rabbi Moshe and Rabbi Eliezer. There's an argument about when the world was created. Yeah. And various other things that happened. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they all agree about when the Antwerp was born. They all agree about when Yitzchak was born, I think. Okay. I think. But it's Rashi who says this took place on Yitzchak's birthday. That's the key oh, link. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Okay, well remembered from the second Rosh Hashanah. We must do that again. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. But you were thought of doing it again, maybe slightly modeled slightly differently. But I, I, I think we should. Okay, what does Yitzchak say to his son, whom he thinks is Esau? Hashem should give to you, or Elohim should give to you, mital hashamayim, from the dew of heaven, umishmanei haaretz, and from the fat places of the earth, the rov dagan the tirosh, and lots of grain and wine. Rashi says, v'yetein lecha, yetein v'yachzor v'yetein. And then he gives another explanation, but let's just start with that one. Yitain, He will give, and he will go back and give, i.e., again. Now, the first thing to say, and I think this is quite simple, is why does Rashi say this? Why does Rashi say there's a giving, there's more giving? And the answer is one particular letter that Rashi is explaining. The Vav. What does he mean? And he will give. And he will give. And what? I mean, where does and come from? So Rashi says, but Vayetain is he gives and he gives. It's all contained in one word, but the Vav means there's a repeated process. And Rashi is explaining the Vav. What does it mean he will give and give? Well, you can read that in a number of ways. Maybe he'll give produce and then he'll give more produce. So he'll get like a double lot. Or maybe he'll give and give and give and give and it, uh, uh, an, an infinite number of iterations and you'll get an infinite amount of produce. Or maybe he will give lots of produce and he will also give other brachot which like are associated with the produce. For instance, you'll have lots of kalim, lots of vessels in which to put all the produce. Or he will give for olam hazeh and he will give in olam haba. And by the way, all of these, given that the bracha actually is going to Yaakov, although Yitzhak doesn't realize that, Yaakov is the one who gets the bracha b'li metzarim, without limits. Yaakov is the one to whom Hashem says, you're spread out in all directions. There's a theme that runs through descriptions of Yaakov, which is the theme of being limitless. And maybe that matches up with this, which Rashi says, he will give and he will get yet more. Then Rashi says, According to the simple meaning, which in other words, what we just read, means is not the simple meaning. And I don't know about your text, but mine quotes it from Bereshit Rabbi. It's definitely a Midrash. But then he says, It goes back to the previous um, subject. Now, remember, there's no doubt we are explaining the Vav. So what Rashi said up till now is that Vav is, it's a conjunction, but it's self-contained. It's like conjunctive to itself. He will give and he will give, which is not really the shut way of reading a Vav. If Vav is the Vav HaHipuch, sorry, the, uh, the Vav HaChibur, um, which we would say the word and, that the, what comes after the and would naturally be joined with what was before the and. So Rashi says, now I'll give you Pshat. Shat is this and links Vayetain with what went before. In other words, see the smell of my son 
that Hashem put, gave him, like the smell of the field, continues Rashi, adds his adds words, the old, and furthermore, yitain lecha mital hashemayim, he will give to you from the Jew of heaven. In other words, uh, and, and this second pshat, um, I can see I'm gonna get stuck on why we need to, um, but this second pshat is good for the letter tet. Which letter tet? I don't mean letter tet, I mean letter mem, sorry, mem before the tet. And the word, which mem? The word in mital hashemayim. What does mital hashemayim mean? From the Jew of heaven. Now, let's look at the Pasuk. Hashem will give you from the Jew of heaven. Does that make sense? What would make more sense? Hashem would give you the Jew of heaven. Thank you very much. From the Jew of heaven. Well, what sort of bracha is that? Hashem will give you the Jew of heaven. So the first uh, shat nicely explains the verb, albeit in a irregular way but doesn't really explain the mem, the mital hashamayim. The second pshat says that, look, my son has got this reach, which has come from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the old, using Rashi's words, the old yitain lecha mital hashamayim. He will give you more from the Jew of heaven. So just like Hashem has given something into this field, which you will benefit from, he will give you things from the Jew of heaven. It, it works, uh, perhaps it's not absolutely outstanding, but it works better. If, he, if this, brach, this pasuk of Kafchet is a continuation of what's gone before, it's talking about the things that, I, I, that um, the Yaakov, or Esau, as he thinks it is, will benefit from, he will benefit in ways from the Jew of heaven. The Jew of heaven will give him things from which he will benefit. And now the mem makes sense. Now he will get things from the Jew of heaven. Um, there's another problem with this Jew of heaven, by the way, is have you ever been blessed with Jew? You shake your heads. I would say pretty much every, when the Jew falls every morning, it happens every day. I mean, 10 depending on the time of year, depending on the weather, you can sense it more or less. It depends if you go out early in the morning and walk barefoot through the meadows, which you probably don't do very often. But if you did, you would experience the Jew. It's not a big deal. Um, so what special bracha is it that Yaakov is being given that he will get the Jew of heaven? <clears throat> so that's another problem actually with the first pshat, <clears throat> to say that he'll get the Jew of heaven. Just what I was saying. Um, it works better if you will get some benefit from the Jew of heaven. That's the letter meant. Yes. Can I ask potentially an answer to that, especially if it's linked to the previous thing about the reach nechachim. We spoke about how heaven. I'm saying is not literally is, is talking about the spiritual side, and then mm -hmm. the next week mishamei haaretz is more the, the physical. So what is why would it need to be both mitalshman or me shamei haaretz? I guess if we're talking about the prosperity, maybe shamei haaretz and mitalshman. If it's linked to before about the reach linked to a shemaim in that side, the nefesh, if that if that could be a link potentially. If that makes sense. Yeah, but then so so is he. But, are you saying he's getting the Tala Shemayim or he's getting something from the Tala Shemayim? I think the Tala Jew is like, uh, I can't explain the word Tala, but I'm saying the, the, something linked from heaven, meaning the, the spiritual nature from the, from the link to the, um, the Nefesh and the Reach from previously. But it would be better if it would be Tal Min HaShemayim. Would that not fit better with what you're saying? Yeah, sure. It doesn't say that. It says Mit Tal HaShemayim. 
Uh, and there's lots more to say about this verse, by the way, which Rashi doesn't. And there's a clear, maybe it's what you were thinking of, there's a clear, again, symmetry. Tal Hashemayim, Mishma Mishmane Haaretz, the Jew of the heaven and the fat places of the earth. And perhaps, you know, there's an idea, which I don't really want to get into because it's not Rashi, that Yitzchak is going out of his way to give Esau a bracha, which has got Gashmiot and Ruchnius, because he thinks that's what Esau needs. And the bracha that he's actually reserved all along for Yaakov is pure Ruchnius. So it, it, it's, it sort of stands out to you. There's Shemayim and there's Aretz in this very verse. Um, but anyway, I'll leave that because that's not what Rashi's saying. Then Rashi says on the word Mithala Shemayim, he's got something specific to say. Um, it means what it says. And then he says, There are many Midrashim which give many Panim, literally faces, i.e. perspectives on what is Tal HaShemayim. Now, this is um, really, we just in these few words see, uh, if you like, an abstract of what is often Rashi's method. He says, Tal HaShemayim, I'll tell you what it means. It means what you think it means. And there are agadats which tell you something else. So the question is, why does Rashi need to say that? Because if he's not bringing the Midrashim, why does he refer to them? Um, and if he's not bringing the Midrashim, why does he have to contrast that with the Pshat? There's a few places um, where Rashi says, I'm not going to tell you what the Midrash says, but I recommend you go and look it up, which is each one of those needs to be explained. But it seems that when he says that, he's saying the Midrashim will answer a question, but actually I can stick to the Peshat and manage without the question. But I think the question is strong enough for me to tell you to go and look up the answer. Not that I have to tell you the answer. It's not that strong a question, but it's a good idea to look up the answer because it will resolve a question. So in that vein, it's suggested that Talashamayim is a funny sort of bracha. First of all, for the reasons I gave a moment ago, because we actually all get it automatically. Second of all, at least in this pasuk, um, the sort of bracha that he's getting are not necessarily what you would expect from Yitzchak Avinu. I mean, let's, let's paint the picture. Yitzchak Avinu, he thinks he's coming to the end of his life. He calls his favorite son and he says, this is it. It's time for me to give you the bracha. Now, presumably in his life, many times he might have said, I bless you for this, I bless you for that. Maybe every Friday night he said some sort of bracha. Maybe that's a little bit uh, anachronistic, but you get the idea. But now Esau, turns out to be Yaakov, but one of them is waiting for the bracha. And the bracha is Jew, fat places, and lots of grain and wine. So maybe, and the Maharal says this, what Rashi is alluding to is you might think this is a funny sort of bracha. Grain and wine, Jew. So what's the answer? You find a metaphorical interpretation for these things, starting with Talashamayim. It doesn't mean Jew. It means some metaphorical idea, what drips down from heaven. You can find lots of Midrashic ideas that metaphorically interpret the Tal Hashemayim. So now we can understand what Rashi's saying. Rashi's saying, you know what Tal Hashemayim means? The simplest meaning is Jew from heaven. That's what it means. But it's worth pointing out, there are lots of Midrashic explanations that find deeper ideas in what Yitzchak is giving as a blessing. And you can go and look them up. But the Pshuto Kamashma'o, 
you can also, a simpler way to read it and a way that works is, we'll talk about Tal HaShemayim. Now we come to a long section in Rashi. Um, and it's worth pointing out that this is not in all the original manuscripts. And that's why in the art scroll it appears in brackets or they call them braces. Um, and in some Chumashim it's not there at all. And in some it is there in brackets. So we'll read it, but we'll bear it in mind that it might not be the original Rashi, which I think answers, in my opinion, a key question. So has everyone got it in their text? I know it's in the Ascroll. On the word Elohim. He says, Mahu Elohim. Why does he say Elohim? Badin, which is the attribute of justice. And so the bracha is coming through the attribute of din, of justice, which is a funny way to give a bracha because it makes it immediately, what, what, what's the idea of din? Things which come through din are conditional. If you deserve it, you get it. If you don't deserve it, you don't get it. Which is not such a beautiful bracha, if you think about it. A bracha is much nicer to get it unconditional. Uh, anyway, that's the basis of the question here. So why mahu ba'elokim, ba'din, which means imra'ui lacha, yitain lacha. If it's, you deserve it, you'll get it. Imlav lo yitain lacha. And if you don't deserve it, you won't get it. Avala Esav Amar, but when he gave a bracha to Esav, knowing it was Esav, he said, The fat places of the earth will be your dwelling place. And he didn't say Elohim, and there was no suggestion that it will come through Midat Adin and therefore be conditional. And therefore Rashi says, the bracha to Esav, knowing he's Esav, the one that comes a few pesukim later, he will get ben tzaddik ben rasha yitain lacha. Whether he's a tzaddik or a rasha, Hashem will give to you. So, what Rashi is doing is what Rashi often does: is pointing out a contrast between two um, formulations which are similar but different. So, both Yaakov or the first bracha, which um, was taken by Yaakov, refers to Mishmenei Haaretz, and the second bracha that goes to Esau, knowing he's Esau, is also Mishmenei Haaretz. They're similar type of brachot, but one comes through the middle of Elohim and the other does not. So we're going to explain a little bit more why Yaakov is, is appropriate for this one that comes through Elohim, and Esau is more appropriate for one which is unconditional. Let's read on, and then perhaps a question is emerging. Umimenu lamad shlomo. And Shlomo HaMelech learned from this. And we're referring to Shlomo's speech when he dedicated the Bet Migdash. And he said, this place will be a house of prayer, L'chol Ha'amim. Um, but he said more than that. When he made the house, i.e. the Bet Migdash, he arranged his prayer. And he said that Jews and non-Jews are welcome to come and daven here. That's this um, um, but the way he invited Jews to Davan and the way he invited non-Jews to Davan was different. Yisrael, Shehubal Emuna, a Jew who believes in God or is loyal to God, umatzik alav et hadin, and justifies to himself whatever Hashem judges, lo yikra alecha tagar, he will not uh, it's hard to translate it in different ways to translate it differently, but he will not reproach God on, on you. He will not reproach. He won't say it's unfair. A Jew believes in God 
understands that there is a judge in the world and understand there is reward and punishment and will not complain if it doesn't go his way. Leficha, therefore, Shlomo said to Hashem, referring to the prayers of Jewish people, You, God, will give to each person according to his ways, which you know of his heart. In other words, you, Hashem, will answer their prayers if they deserve it, and you will not if they don't. Uh, or you could say they'll always answer the prayers. Sometimes the answer is no. It's worth remembering. Anyway, but when Shlomo HaMelech was talking about the non-Jews who come to say their prayers at the Bet Nidash, they are lacking in loyalty to, or faith of God. And therefore Shlomo said, you, the heavens, will listen. And you will do all that the non-Jew calls on you. And then Rashi adds, Ben Ru'i Ben She'en Ru'i, whether they deserve it or they don't deserve it. Yitain lo, Hashem, sorry, Taylor, Hashem should give to the person asking. Kadei shalo yikra alecha tagai. So they shouldn't complain against God. Okay. Shlomo HaMelech dedicates the Bet Midash, invites Jews and non-Jews to come and daven there. And he says to Hashem, when a Jew davens, you record him, you, you reward him according to what's in his heart. When a non-Jew davens, you give him whatever he asks for. And the reason for that is because if the non-Jew doesn't get what he asks for, he will complain. If the Jew doesn't get what he will ask for, then he will understand that he doesn't deserve it. And that illustrates what Yitzchak was doing with Yaakov and Esau. With the first bracha, he said it should be conditional. And therefore he used the word Elohim. With the second bracha to Esau, who for our purposes is parallel to the non-Jew and doesn't have the same emunah, and therefore will complain if he doesn't get what he wants. Uh, Yitzhak said it should be given not through Elohim, i.e. unconditioned. What are the questions on this? Yitzhak is speaking to Esau, not Yaakov. Okay, big, big problem. And I'm forced to an answer, which I'm not entirely happy with. And the big problem is exactly as you said, how can we say that when Yitzchak gives the bracha to Yaakov, he represents the Jew, uh, Esau is the second recipient of the bracha, when Yitzchak thought he was giving the first bracha to Esau. So you have to say that at that point, Yitzchak thought Esau was a tzaddik. Only later, and we'll see this in a little while, when Yitzchak realizes he's been tricked and he's given the bracha to Yaakov, then he realizes that Yaakov was the true recipient the true deserving recipient, and then, as it were, the scales fall from his eyes and he realizes who Aesop is. And when Aesop comes for his bracha, then Yitzchak gives it to him, not only knowing who is Aesop, but knowing who Aesop is. Therefore taking out Elohim. So it, it, this whole story is predicated on the first bracha going to either Yaakov in reality or Yitzchak's image of who Aesop was. The second bracha goes to the real Aesop. Next question. Um, and I'm sure maybe there are answers to them, but I haven't found them and I can't work it out. Why does Rashi need to give the whole Shlomo HaMelech thing? Um, why does Rashi go so far to tell us the whole thing about Shlomo HaMelech when he could have said that very simply about this bracha to Aesop? And that's why I cling to the fact that perhaps this is not real Rashi, but this has been added in. Because it, uh, I, I can't say I'm such a, 
uh, Boki and Rashi, that I can say what feels like Rashi, what doesn't feel like Rashi. But if I could say that, I would say this doesn't feel like Rashi. Um, it's long and Rashi is short. It goes to another part of Tanakh and possibly unnecessarily. It has the question which we just answered about the first bracha was to Esau anyway, but we've answered it, but I'm, I'm not totally happy with the answer. So I'd much prefer to say that this whole paragraph, interesting though it is, and it gives us an interesting idea about prayer and about prayers being answered and about the should we should have when we pray, but I, I prefer to say it's not actually originally Rashi's words. Okay, I think that's a good place to stop. We will meet again next week. Thank you, Rebbe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.